I, uh, I, I've said this a lot, but I love this time of the year. Um, I love the decorations. I love the music. Um, I love some of the songs that we sing only this time of year. And, uh, and I like that we only sing it one time a year because they're really special. Um, uh, for instance, that song we just sang, I've been wanting to sing that for a number of years. Really love that. There's some lyrics in there that are kind of, I, I love the way the music is kind of haunting. The lyrics are kind of different. Uh, I love that stuff. I love the lights. I love the wonder in, my, uh, in, in, the, in our kids, right? The, the wonder that they have this time of year. I love the food. Obviously, didn't need to say that one, but I will. <laughs> I also, I love my family, right? I love my daughters. I love my wife. love my parents. love my extended family. I love our church. Uh, now, obviously, I mean different things with that same word love for those different categories, right? I don't love tacos the same way I love my wife. If I did, my wife would be disappointed, or that would be an amazing taco. Um, maybe both. Uh, right? But we, we sort of all intuitively know this when it comes to how we use our language and that word love. So that leaves us with a question, right? In the words of the great one-hit wonder, Hathaway from 1993, what is love? Right? I've been thinking about doing that all morning. It's scary. <laughs> Okay, I think it's safe to say, though, for the most part, for the most part, everybody's pretty positive about the idea of love, right? We sort of love love. All the songs we have, they're basically about love or breaking up from love or getting into love or being in love, something like that, right? TV shows, movies, they always have this element of love that sort of glues things together. And that's kind of our, that's our theme for today. And so a deeper question than maybe what is love Um, is the question, without love, what's the point of all this? Uh, There's a a, a relational psychotherapist named James Olfius who wrote this book, The Beautiful Risk, A New Psychology of Loving and Being Loved. He said this in this book, Loving is not merely one thing among others that we are called to do. Love is not an additive. Loving is of the essence of being human, the connective tissue of reality, the oxygen of life. See, this is why words matter and what words mean matters. Uh, So if I can give you a shameless plug to get yourself a Bible dictionary, this would be one of those times because the words in the Bible mean specific things. And so what we want to know during Advent, especially today when our theme is love, is what is the definition of the love that God has uh, that would ultimately cause him to send his very own son whom he loved and was well pleased in. We know that from the life of Jesus to come and join us in our humanity in order to rescue us from our sin and our rebellion and to bring us back to him. If love is central to our humanity, right? And if humanity is made in the image of God, what does this mean about God? Well, we know this from our Bibles. Uh, Knowing how God defines love matters because God is love. And so this really matters. So what is that kind of love that God is? Well, if you don't know it, there's a chapter that Bible nerds refer to as the love chapter. Uh, I remember getting quizzed on this when I was getting um, ordained for ministry in the Alliance. There's one chapter that's the love chapter, one chapter that's the resurrection chapter. They're only two chapters apart from each other, and they're both odd numbers. So they're easy to get mixed up. One is 13, we're going to be in today. One is 15, and I can remember them asking me that you sit in front of this panel, and of course you're nervous because you're thinking, 
they're trying to keep me out of this. They're really not. Uh, but they ask you, and you freeze up and go, oh, and you've been studying for three years for this thing, and that's just how it goes. So 1 Corinthians 13 is the love chapter. Now, I said that the definition of words matters, right? That what words mean in your Bible actually matters. Uh, so then it matters what this word is in this text that we see translated as our English word love. You probably know this, and I, and I alluded to it earlier in that illustration, but there's more than one word in the ancient text that gets translated as our English word love. In the Old Testament, one of the words is ahava. That's kind of this word for love. Then there's uh, other words in the New Testament, but in this text, the word is agape, okay? That's kind of the God love, if you will, the eternal sort of love that God is and that God has. There's other kinds, there's brotherly love, and uh, there's all these other kinds of love. But this section becomes really important as we think about what it means for God to love us, the way he loves us, and for what it means for us to love the way that God loves. Okay, so in this first little section, if you got your Bible, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, uh, it's the first, see, I told you, you can get mixed up. I, t I told you. Wow, I'm editing this out of the video. 1 Corinthians 13. Or maybe it was my scheme to make you remember. Hmm. No, I just forgot. All right, so in this first little section of chapter 13 of 1 Corinthians, Paul is going to deal with the meaning that love gives to our life, and he sort of gives sort of three areas in that. So the first is that he talks to the Corinthians, right? He's writing to the church at Corinth. It's his first letter that we have to the church at Corinth. That's why we call it 1 Corinthians. Uh, he's going to talk to them about their speech. So this is written to church people. This is written to, to like you and me in a certain city. If he was writing today, it'd be 1 Baltimore's 13. Here's what you need to know about love. Listen to verse 1. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging Symbol. Now, I thought about pulling a symbol out and clanging it, but it was a little much. I tried it earlier during the week. Pretty loud. Um, so Paul is getting at this reality. I think you all know this intuitively. Everybody knows this, right? Without, without love, words, as true as they are, can become very void of meaning, right? I mean, anybody on social media knows this to be true. Somebody can comment something that's so true, but they can, because they don't have love for you it might as well be a clanging symbol. We can say all the right things. We can even speak eloquently, right? He says that if I speak in the tongues of men and angels, if I speak eloquently, if I speak angelic words, but it's not coming from love, it's empty of its meaning and its power. It's a clanging symbol. Now think about how this relates to Advent and what God has said all along. God is not a God of empty words because God is love. His words are infused with his very being. They're infused with love. Their foundation is his love for his creation. God's words about coming to rescue his people are not just words, but instead he actually came to be with us in Jesus. Right? We thank God for Christmas because of the incarnation. That God comes in the flesh to be with Jesus. So his words are not just clanging symbols. They are infused with love. Then Paul goes on to not just say, uh, not, not just about what we say, he talks not just about what we say, but about what we know. So Paul is being very holistic here. 
He's not just saying love is one aspect. It's all of it. Look at verse 2. If I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have faith so as to move mountains, but I have not love, I am nothing. So the Corinthians, if you don't know this, and, and one of these days we'll do a study of these books, but the Corinthians are obsessed with this idea of knowledge, of like special knowledge and revelation and all these special things. Uh, I think there's a lot of people in our day and age like this as well. Right? How many people do you know that say things like, I just want to know God's plan for my life. I just want a revelation from God. Well, you've got everything you need in the scriptures. And the Corinthians are obsessed with this stuff. Think of the last time you met someone, though, who was incredibly smart or knowledgeable but not loving. Right? It's not as impressive when you run up, to, when you run up into somebody like that. Uh, earlier in this same book, in Corinthians, Paul tells the Corinthian church that there is a knowledge that puffs up when it's without love, but that love builds up. So love has to be underneath knowledge or else, as Paul says, we are nothing. It doesn't matter, right? It's the old saying, people don't, know, don't care how much you know until they know how much you care, right? So we all know this even in our own relationships. If, if the truth is said but without love, people are not going to hear it in the same way. Maybe not at all. They might speak some truth back to us without love, right? It can be the truest truth that has ever been spoken, but if it's not undergirded by love, it's empty. It's nothing. Third thing, love doesn't just infuse our words and our knowledge, but Paul goes on to show us in verse 3, love also infuses Meaning not just into those two things, but also into what we do. If I, ha if I give away, verse 3, if I give away all that I have, if I'm generous, if I deliver my body up to be burned, if I sacrifice myself, but I have not love, I gain nothing. Right? So, so look uh, let's say you just lost a job and you have no way to figure out how you're going to eat or you're going to pay for electricity or buy diapers or whatever it is you got to buy, right? Or dog food. I don't know. Whatever it is, you have no money. And I come to you and I'm, I'm rich and I'm a philanthropist and I say, hey, I'm going to give you enough money for a year. You don't have to worry. You don't have to worry about it for a year. You're going to be able to survive. But I just want to make this clear to you. I just want you to know I don't love you at all. Frankly, I don't care about you at all. I just want the tax write-off. Like this is all, this is me. I don't care about you at all. This is Right Now, some of you might say, whatever, just give me the money. But I think a lot of us deep down would also feel like, you know what, you can keep your money. I don't want your money if it's about that. If it's not undergirded by love, I'd rather not play a part in your fake charity. People want to be loved. You and I and everyone we know was made for love. Why? Because we're made in the image of God who is love. So love is what gives meaning to life. It has to be the driver for what we say, what we think, and what we do if we want to be the kind of people and the kind of church who show the world what God is like. And we know these are not new lessons. And then Paul continues. The next section in 1 Corinthians 13 is the one many of us know. You've probably got it on like a sticker or something somewhere, or a coffee mug, or I'm going to read it at a wedding soon. You know, We, we, we love this section. This description of love that Paul gives is pretty amazing, though. Um, and, and, and honestly, it, it seems like it's beyond our experience as humans, right? When you read this, it sounds nice, but it's a pretty high bar. Listen to verses 4 through 7. Love is patient and kind. Uh-oh. 
right? Already off, off the bat, I'm not doing it. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. That one really stings me for some particular reason. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. Now, we all would want this. We all would long for this kind of hope. We want to be more patient and kind and humble, but if we're honest, to really hit all of these... It's not happening in my life, right? I was expecting Amy to say amen. Um, the, other side of the, the other side of this is true as well, too, though. The other side of this is also true. We long to be treated this way as well, right? We long to be treated with patience and, and mercy and not have someone be arrogant with us and not have them to be irritated with us. But that's not often the way that we deal with the world. And, and that's actually what makes this Make, makes love so essential. It's so full of meaning. It has the possibility to fill life with the beauty that we just read about in those verses there that Paul describes love as. And I think it's the impossibility for us. We know this is impossible for us to do. Uh, I think it's what ma- makes us realize that we have a need for this. Like this is so different than me, this kind of love that I see here. Now, the thing about this love is, is exactly what we said. It's impossible for us in our humanity to get to. I was talking with my wife last night just about something interesting that I just hadn't thought of until last night. I was sitting at the dinner table that the first thing you see in this little section is what? Patience. And the first thing you see in the fruit of the Spirit after love, joy, and peace is what? Patience. I think there's something there. We all long for this, but in our humanity, it's impossible for us to get to. No one I know, no matter how holy they are, no matter how mature they are, how long they've been walking with Jesus, nobody is what Paul describes here perfectly all the time. Certainly some people are pretty close most of the time. But this is why God sent Jesus into the world. Jesus was and Jesus is all of these descriptives of love for us. Not just for us in the sense of loving us this way, but he is these things on our behalf because we can't be. Replace the word love with Jesus in this text. You get a picture of the nature of God. Jesus is for us what we cannot be, and that's the beauty of the gospel of Jesus, that he is for us those things. He's all of these things for you, and the presence of Jesus is in you, and so now you get to be the embodiment of this love that Paul describes to those around you. What if you never insisted on your own way at your workplace, or in your family, or with your friends? What if you were never irritable or resentful with someone who has wronged you deeply? And some of you might have just gotten reminded about this at the Thanksgiving dinner table. What if you were the most hopeful person anyone in your life knew? This is the kind of love that's going to begin to create spaces in your life where the gospel of Jesus can begin to become part of the conversation. 
See, to go back to the reading that we heard earlier from Erica and Nicholas as the candle was lit, this is the kind of love that God will use through you to quiet the souls of those around you so that they can finally hear the good news that you have for them, that God in Jesus loves them way more than they ever can imagine. Well, let's keep going. Verses 8 to 10. Um, I, w- I, want, I want you to see how they're kind of a callback, if you will, to verses 1 to 3. Look at verses 8 to 10. Love never ends. Now remember, we said God is love, and love never ends. The two are connected together. God's eternality is right there. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. We could add here, as for preaching, it will be over. For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. What we say, what we know, even what we do will all pass away. Paul isn't pulling any punches here. All of your gifts, all of your talents, all of your wise insights, all of your charitable actions, all of that stuff passes away the day that you do. There's nothing we can say or do or think that's going to make us escape death. It's coming for us. That's just the reality of the life we live. And yet there's one thing that will not perish, that if, if this one thing is underneath all those other things we talked about, then they don't pass away. There's one thing that stands the test of time, even after we're gone, and that's love. I've conducted a number of funerals as a pastor, and I can tell you, everybody stands up and talks about love. That's what they talk about at a funeral. Paul says there at the top of verse 8 that love never ends. Love is, if you, if you notice this in this little section 8 through 10, love is categorically different from everything else that Paul talked about right there. It brings the infinite to bear on the finite, like Jesus did at Christmas. Love sort of injects eternal significance into life. Again, this is why people long for it so much. In our culture, what we're being told, though, is that we, what we should do is to redefine love in our image. And there's a million ways we do this. To make love into what we want and not what God designed it to be. And it seems like that's really the only option we have. And what we're failing to realize is that in doing that, we actually are moving ourselves away from what we really want and what we really need in terms of human flourishing when it comes to love. Listen to this. This is from uh, a book called Love 2.0 by a professor of psychology at the University of North Carolina. Here's what she says about love. Love is not exclusive. Love's timetable is far shorter than we typically think. Love, you'll see, is not lasting. And perhaps most challenging of all, love is not unconditional. She goes on and says this, love is that micro moment of warmth and connection that you share with another living being. Love is an emotion, a momentary state. Right now at the very moment in which I am crafting a sentence, I do not love my husband. Our positivity resonance, after all, only lasts as long as we two are engaged with one another. The same goes for you and your loved ones. Unless you're cuddled up with someone reading these words aloud to him or her right now, you don't love anyone. Good news, right? No, this, this is it? Like, I understand why we would want to do this, because biblical God-type love is impossible for us. But this 
This isn't going to lead to human flourishing. I, I, I would just argue that this description of love is actually untenable, it's unworkable, and it's unsafe. Right? You want to be in a love relationship with someone who says, eh, it's temporary. I love you when I can see you and when we can hug, but that's it. It's, it's not safe. We can't let go of the biblical vision for love. We, we shouldn't want to let go of God's picture of love because it gives meaning and beauty and lasting significance to our lives. But, but then how do we hold on to a biblical love as we wrap up? The way we gain biblical vision for love is by realizing that we've made many times a mistake in how we think and feel about love. Now, we have to talk about how we feel, too. Our emotions are part of who we are. We think and feel that love is something located inside of us, right? That ultimate love is something inside of us. We think that love is something we do. It's an emotion. It's an experience. But when love exists like this, when love exists inside of us, when, when the foundation is in us, there's an expiration date. If love is something you have to muster up from within, then there is a time when love will end. So if love is going to be the biblical God kind of agape love, the kind full of beauty and mystery and worth, then it has to come from somewhere outside of us. This is why Paul talks about love as something categorically different from us. Love is something that happens outside of us and to us. Love is a person. His name is Jesus. It's not our words. It's not our feelings. It's not our actions. Love transcends those things because love and God are defined as the same thing, that God is love. So if love has to be somewhere from, from somewhere outside of us to fulfill this biblical vision for love, then we know that God is the only one who can truly fulfill this. God is love, and what God is saying is that you are not just noise. You're not just a, a, a bag of you know, meat that exists in the universe. You're a person who matters. God is saying that he sees all the flaws that we have and he still pursues us. God is saying that his love will have no end. And he's ultimately saying that because of his love for us, that he would give everything that he has in order to love us, even though we're unlovely. This is the good news that the Israelites were looking forward to at the first advent. It's the good news that we look forward to in the second advent. And it's the good news that we walk in day by day if we follow Jesus. That Jesus Christ has looked at us in our miserable state of failed attempts to love. And he has said, in spite of that, I love you. Not when you get over it and get better, then I'll love you. But right now in the middle of it, I love you. Think of the most serious dark, evil, wicked thought, sinful thought that you've had. And I don't mean like when I was young and foolish. I mean like yesterday, right? Think of that. And Jesus sees that and says, yeah, I know. I love you anyway. I died for that. I shed my blood for that. It's already done. That's how my love for you works. But it's hard for us to think of God this way. I know it's hard for me. We see in ourselves all these things that limit our love. We are impatient. We are rude sometimes. We are arrogant. We do the wrong things. In the whole list, we could go on, right? We find ourselves having trouble loving our friends, loving our spouses, loving our kids. What are we supposed to do with that? 
Because it's in there. What are we supposed to do with the fact that we even have a hard time loving God sometimes? The reason the gospel is good news is that it's, it's never been about what we need to do for others or what we need to do for God. That's not what saves you. Instead, it's about what God, driven by his agape for us, has already done. He's already done this. God's posture towards you is not, he's with arm out saying, ah, I'll let you in, I guess. God's posture towards you is that he's leaning out over the boat where you're drowning in your own sin to rescue you. He's initiating it. He's leaning in. He wants the love relationship. He's not sitting back waiting for you to get it together. There's a song I love with a line that says, if you tarry till you're better, you will never come at all. So just come to Jesus. Bring all that stuff with you. He's leaning in with arms open towards you. We sang these lyrics a few minutes ago. Christ our God to earth descended. He already came. There's no ladder for you to climb. And he never wears down. He never gets tired. He never gives up because he is love and love has no end. All your foolishness, all your sinfulness, you can't outdo God's love, please. Your sinfulness is not eternal, but God's love is. It transcends all that. It never ends. This is what we need to hear, and it's most certainly what the world needs to hear, that the battle has been won. Jesus has done all the fighting and enduring and bearing for us and on our behalf. He has faced death for us in his humanity, and his love that has no end is victorious in his resurrection and ascension. This is what we need to hear this Advent season as we look forward to his second coming, as we think about Jesus coming down to us again. Jesus is love in the flesh. We are striving, we are fighting, we are getting ourselves all worked up, right? Trying to get love right. And all along, Jesus, who is love for us, has been saying to us, look, love isn't dependent on you. Follow me. I'm already love. I've done it for you. Love is dependent on me and what I have done. So you simply follow me and you get to rest and enjoy my love that will transform you into a person of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, all those things come as a result of God loving us first and us following hard after him by faith alone. And here's a quote I want to just end with. I never thought I'd say these words. I'm going to end with a quote from an atheist philosopher. But here we go. This is from his work called On Love. It's a little bit of a long quote, but hang with me. Passing an unfortunate woman in the street one day, my girlfriend asked me, would you have loved me if I'd had an enormous birthmark on my face like she does? The yearning is that the answer be yes. An answer that would place love above the mundane surfaces of the body or more particularly its cruel, unchangeable ones. Our yearning is that we hear, I will love you not just for your wit and talent and beauty, but simply because you are you with no strings attached. I love you for who you are deep in your soul, not for the color of your eyes or the color of your hair or the size of your checkbook. The longing is that the lover admire us, stripped of our external assets, appreciating the essence of our being without accomplishment. Even if we are rich and beautiful, 
then we do not wish to be loved on account of these things, for they may fail us, and with them love. The desire is that I be loved even if I lose everything, leaving nothing but me, this mysterious me taken to be the self at its weakest, most vulnerable point. Do you love me enough that I may be weak with you? Everyone loves strength, but do you love me for my weakness? And all of us wonder this in some form of, or another. And I think the message of Advent today, the message of Christmas is a resounding yes from God. That God loves you in the middle of your weakness and your dirtiness and your lack of strength and your inability to do what he's asked you to do. He loves you in the middle of that. This is a resounding yes from the God who is love that never ends. Let me pray. Jesus, thank you that you are the embodiment of the reality that God is love. And Father in heaven, we thank you for sending Jesus. And Holy Spirit, we thank you for being in us a reminder of the love of God that now is in us somehow, although we imperfectly practice it. And you are transforming us day by day, bit by bit, into these people of love. And so we ask that you would give us strength as we as we just look to follow you and as we look to rest in the love that transforms us, that holiness and love are tied together in us, that, that we're not saying that it doesn't matter what we do, but we're saying that the work has been done and now we rest in that and we follow after you. And so Jesus, would you lead us? Would you guide us as we go out from here? Would you help us to, to just live into this feeling of expectation and looking forward to Christmas? And would that carry over into our looking forward to your coming? And would it color the way we live our lives that we would be expectant hopeful people who are filled with love because you are love and you are in us we pray all this in your name for your glory amen